Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. This is Elmer, and I'm going to listen to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. Let me tell you something, Elmer. I'm going to squeeze you so very hard. I like to be tickled. No, I'm going to squeeze you like Axel Jim Duggan. Tickle. Squeeze. Tickle, bitch. Let me tell you something, Elmer. I'm squeezing your fucking <laughs> <laughs> Give them this much power in the cartoon world. A podcast, and I was told that if I did your podcast, that I would, you know, advance to the next level. And we're podcasting and photographizing in front of the great. The worst gigs of their life are, are because of Mark Bullos. <laughs> Anyone want a husband? Free, free to a home. Now it doesn't even have to be a good home. Just free to a home. Ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant would like to do his impression. Oh, Bully Nelson. Suck yourself dry! Alright. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast. As always, I am Mark Poulos, the host and the guy who cuts this all together. And uh, I appreciate you tuning in to the latest episode. At the current time, I am doing a weekend of shows with uh, Michael Cabanaro from the Carbonaro Effect on True TV. I've uh, been trying my best to get his name right. Um, it is um, a different name, and he obviously, as most people want, want it said correctly, so I've been practicing Carbonaro, Carbonaro. So, um, we're in Madison right now, getting prepped for the show tonight at the Barrymore Theater, and uh, it's pretty exciting. Um, I've only done one show with him, but since I probably won't have time after the show tonight to do a podcast and kind of recap the whole weekend, I figured I would uh, just lay one down right now, just kind of my experiences so far and maybe a couple stories of my history and magic and and how much i enjoy it and and all that shit whatever i don't i don't even know what i say sometimes i so i'm currently booked to do about 6 shows with them and then they're going to extend the tour out through the summer i don't know if i'm going to get any more dates but uh it's pretty exciting last night we did a show at the Prairie Meadows Casino in Des Moines, Iowa. And I think there's probably about 800 people there last night. A little bit nerve-wracking because um, I need to do 15 minutes squeaky clean. So putting that together was kind of tough. But on top of that is, uh, you know, it's a mag- magic show. It's it's got pretty specific timing as far as different tricks going off and stuff. So I had to get as close as I could to 15 minutes. Like, uh, they said, don't do less than 15 minutes because he needs the prep time. Uh, try to hit 15 right on. And I even surprised myself that I actually <laughs> hit 15 right on the nuts last night because I was, 
um, what I thought initially was that I was going to be doing 10 minutes. So I prepped a 10 minute set and I literally checked in with the stagehands at like 6.30 and uh, his tour manager and they were like, you're actually doing 15. And I was like, well, I, I better get upstairs and figure out what the hell else I'm going to talk about on stage. So thankfully it all worked out. I got a pretty solid 15 now that I think is going to work really well for his crowds tonight's even more nerve-wracking because last night was was a 21 and over show and tonight is all ages so there's probably going to be some kids there as young as like eight years old you know and a lot of people are like stand-up comedy for eight-year-olds and you know I think you can pretty much make anybody laugh if you pick the right material and you have the right tone you know see for me I, I i i think i'm perfect for a crowd with small children in there because um i'm silly i'm goofy i don't talk about political issues or religion or you know hot button issues that would put people off or any of that kind of stuff i talk about my kids and i talk about uh how I'm this big guy and I'm terrified of all this stuff. And I think that kind of resonates with people, especially little kids who are still scared of stuff to see a guy that's as big as me, that's still terrified of things like ghosts and clowns and spiders, you know, would, would probably go over well with them. But like I said, we will see. And I'm sure you'll, you'll hear about what happened tonight on next week's podcast. Um, Cause next week I'm doing, uh, another show with him on Saturday in Cincinnati at, uh, I don't remember what the name of that, I want to say the Taft Theater in Cincinnati, but uh, don't quote me on that. Let me double check on this because any of my fans that live in Cincinnati that uh, listen to the podcast and want to come out and see the magic show and my uh, my solid 15 on the front, well... My memory is good. It is the Taft Theater in Cincinnati, Ohio, April 30th, next Saturday. So if you are in that area and you want to see a kick-ass magic show with 15 minutes off the top with yours truly, make sure you get tickets for that. Um, the week after that, I will be at the uh, Peabody Theater in St. Louis on the 6th of May, and then the 7th of May I'll be back home at the state theater in minneapolis with him so get tickets for all that uh if you'd rather just see me do stand up uh the last week of may i will be at the house of comedy and then uh the middle of july i'll be at the joke joint so some upcoming dates i don't know why i even went into that but <laughs> we're talking magic so i've been a fan of magic since i was a little kid and and uh, I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast, but uh, it is a very funny story that involves magic. So I think I've, I've probably talked about it before, but obviously my dad was, was quite a degenerate gambler. Um, he loved to gamble. Um, he lost a lot of money in Las Vegas, and he lost so much money that they you know wanted to bring him back so he would give them more money that's kind of how it works you know but what's funny about vegas is um they're just i don't know if they really look at the win loss as much as they do look at uh the time 
that you spend playing the games. So like, and how much you play during that time is kind of how they figure out whether they're going to give you free shit or not. So like, let's say you went to, you went to Vegas and you played the penny slot machines for like 16 hours a day for like five days in a row. Well, that would look impressive to, you know, the, the supervisors there, but uh, what would look more impressive, I guess, would be if for like two days in a row you played like 10 hours of blackjack and you bet, you know, $20 a hand, like that would get you a lot further. And the worst part about Vegas, at least when I was out there and I was, you know, spending all my money and stuff, um, they were sending me a lot of a lot of offers in the mail, like free hotel rooms and free money to play the slot machines and free um, food comps and stuff. I think the best that ever got for me was, I think it was soon after my dad passed away. I was in Vegas, and I went a little bit off the rails, and I ended up losing, I think, like three or four thousand dollars in like two or three days, and soon after that I got like a personal phone call from the casino manager asking me when I was going to be coming back and I was like wow that's that's kind of telling <laughs> that the casino manager <laughs> personally calling me wondering when I'm coming back and he told me let me know when you're coming in and I'll take care of you or whatever so uh, I was actually you know even though I lost all that money and it was pretty devastating um, the the next trip that I took after that um, I felt good because I was able to show my brother a good time. Like they picked us up at the airport in a limo and it was pretty much free food and, and whatever we wanted. They put us up in a suite in the hotel and stuff. So it was pretty nice. I ended up losing a buttload of money then too, but it was kind of my dad's MO. Like he would go to Vegas like twice a year with a buddy of his and, and just dump loads of money and play forever and wouldn't take many breaks to go to the bathroom and eat and stuff. So he was what they would call, I don't know if he was a whale, but he was pretty close. You know, he, he confided in me later on that there was times he would go there and lose like $30,000, but then there was times he would go and win like $80,000. It was like this ebb and flow. But anyways, they, so he would go to the Golden Nugget, which was downtown with his friend uh, Dick Dufour, and they they would play a bunch. And so I think it was like, I want to say it was early 90s when they opened the Mirage on the Strip. And it was opened by the same guy that ran the Golden Nugget. And it was a big deal, like it was going to be this tropical theme, like extravaganza hotel they had a giant volcano in the front of it that would erupt and it brought people in to watch and uh, obviously with these vegas hotels like the big thing when you open is you have to have this this big act to draw people in they call it a residency so it'd be like somebody you know like celine dion had a residency at one of the hotels down there and uh I feel like Boys to Men has a residency somewhere. Sometimes comedians have residencies. But magic shows and like Cirque du Soleil and that kind of stuff are huge there. So 
So the show that they ended up securing at the Mirage was the Siegfried and Roy magic show. Um, and if you're not familiar, they were like two gay guys from Holland that or Germany. I don't know where they were from. But they would train these like baby white tigers and it was like their big thing. Like they would save white tigers and they would train them and, and they would use the tigers in their act on stage. And for the time, it was it was pretty big, you know, like... I don't know if they were number one. I feel like David Copperfield has always been kind of number one, but they may have, you know, taken the number one spot away from him for a while, you know, and this was long before the days of David Blaine and and uh, Chris Angel and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so we went to the Mirage for spring break that year, and it just so happened that they had just opened the Mirage, and they were like, we were going to go to the Golden Nugget, but then they were like, well, do you want to go to the Mirage? And my dad was like, yeah, that's, that's fine. So obviously somebody made a mistake because we got there and they gave us like one of the penthouse suites that had like three bedrooms. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie The Hangover, but it was like a place like that. And we were just losing our minds. Like, what is this? You know? And when we went into the, the penthouse suite, there was an envelope on the table um, that just said Siegfried and Roy on it. And there was like four tickets in there to go and see the show that night, which just happened to be the first, I don't know if it was the first, like they must've done like some, some soft opening shows where like people had seen the thing before, but whatever the thing was that night was considered, I think the grand opening because Michael Jackson had actually written the soundtrack for the magic show so if you actually go online there's a there's an an album dedicated to like the music of the Siegfried and Roy magic show because years ago like after the show I bought they were selling the CD of the music from the show and I thought it was pretty cool um, if I can actually find a few of those songs um, from the Siegfried and Roy magic show I'll put them on after the credits because there was like one in particular that that I really loved listening to when I was like doing my homework in college. I don't know why <laughs> it's such an odd album to listen to, but it was good. They tell you when you when you study and you're learning and you're reading and you want to have something in the background like the music shouldn't have any words to it and and this movie music was uh you know pretty uh, uh just instrumental. So uh so it turned out Michael Jackson was at the show that night, and we didn't really realize it. So, And our tickets were pretty sweet. Like, I don't know if you've seen um, the movie Vegas Vacation, but there's a, a scene where they actually go to the Siegfried and Roy magic show and where um, Chevy Chase and his family are sitting, That those were like our seats. Because what happened was, I'm getting ahead of myself, but... So Chevy Chase in the movie, he gets taken on stage and they do some silly stuff with him, like magic stuff. And then he disappears and then he shows up with the white tigers. Like it didn't go that far, but my dad actually got called on stage and they did a bunch of magic stuff with him. And he was like <laughs> such a curmudgeon. It was just so funny because it took him forever to get him on stage. And then when he was up there, he was being just like, you know, he wasn't helpful and he was just saying like little, he was like, 
a magician's worst nightmare when you bring him on stage trying to get him involved in the act and everything. But uh, so that was funny. But before the show started, you know, we got seated and everything, and it was kind of busy. And I don't, I don't think they had wait staff, or the wait staff hadn't started coming around. And they were like, my dad asked us, you know, do you guys want some sodas or whatever? Because I think I was. I was 13 at the time. My brother was 16 and my, my sister was like nine and, you know, way to go parents take us to Vegas for spring break, but it was all free. So all we had to do was, you know, bring, uh, buy the plane tickets or whatever. And that's, that's, that was a whole vacation. So it was cheap for them, you know? So my dad's like, get you some soda. So he goes up there and in the process of getting the sodas, he ends up running into Michael Jackson, like him and his like security team. And they kind of, you know, push him to the side and, and he looked like, you know, be- bewildered at the whole situation. He goes in and gets our drinks and he comes and sits back down and we're all like, oh my God, dad, you ran into Michael Jackson. And he was like, Michael Jackson? He goes, that guy that's dressed like a general? He goes, yeah, that's Michael Jackson. And my dad's like, oh, wow. And he goes, hang on a sec. And so um, he had bought us all programs for the magic show. So we had our own programs. And he scooped up, like, all three programs. And he actually went back up there and, like, got up to the security guards. And he said, uh, I don't know what the hell he said, but he ended up getting Michael Jackson to sign all three of our uh, our uh, programs, and we were just like, "What?" But that was my dad. Like he got, he just pushed through things. He got shit done, you know. And it's so sad. Like we moved so many times. Like there's just no nowhere to be found. Those programs that had Michael Jackson. Not not that they'd be worth anything right now. I don't know if they would even be worth with all the you know all the extra shit that he went through and. But I would have to assume with them being gone now, they were probably uh, probably pretty expensive. But who knows? Touche. Hindsight. All that stuff. So we sat there and, and watched the show, and it was, you know... I wouldn't say that that's when my fascination with magic started, but it was, you know, right around that time. It was just like, it was so cool. And... You know, I remember watching those, uh, like David Copperfield would have those things on TV where it was like these event magic things where he was going to tune in tonight. David Copperfield will make an airplane disappear, you know, and then he would make it disappear. And and uh, I don't know if I ever actually liked those um like magic unmasked things that they were doing on Fox where the guy was like showing you how magic tricks worked and he wore a mask so he wouldn't be like accosted by the other magicians and I thought that was kind of a dick move but like I get the idea of it like you know in his mind maybe he was thinking that he was kind of pushing the art forward by saying like you know here's how you do all these very simple tricks and it'll force like the other magicians to step their game up and stuff. It would be interesting to find out from like Michael or a different magician or something what 
what their take is on that whole magic unmasked thing. If they felt like it was good for the business or they felt like it was bad for the business, you know, I got, uh, three or four more shows with these guys. Maybe I can talk them into coming on the podcast and, and talking about that. But, but it's always been around like, and what's funny is like, um, one of my best friends in life and comedy, um, he started out as a magician and, you know, pushed away from that and became a stand-up comic. Now he's a writer. And it was always interesting chatting with him about, like, how magic works and, and like, that side of the business. Like, I was just, before I came on the show and the inspiration for doing this podcast, I was chatting with uh, Michael's tour manager downstairs, who's also a magician. And I guess all the staff that he brings with, with him are all kind of their tight group of magicians that work on tricks together and stuff like that and they go to conferences together uh, which i didn't even know existed that there was magic conferences not magic the gathering just magic conferences where they learn about the business and and new tricks and like new ideas and stuff like that which i think is pretty cool you know and um she was just kind of enlightening me about about some of the the business side of magic because it's got to be tough you know i was saying to her like i feel like it it might be a little bit more difficult for a stand-up comic to kind of navigate his way through the business if he's new and he doesn't understand how it all works because it's kind of a confusing process from writing your first jokes and doing your open mic to actually making a living from this like how the club system works the open mics you know the the bookers the managers like how do you you know how do you get the work and like there was a guy online that was arguing quite a bit the other day about some of these younger comics that are kind of cutting corners you know they're not going the way of everybody else they're just getting like 10 of their friends together finding a bar that'll allow them to do stand-up comedy sell tickets at the door and like split up the money and he felt like it was kind of ruining the art of stand-up comic because comedy because they were doing it way too early and were kind of causing people to feel like it, it, comedy was shitty, you know. I feel like it's a, the same kind of idea when, you know, you have a really successful movie that does really successful at the box office and then whatever company or production company owns the rights to that story just starts cranking out these horrible sequels that go right to DVD. And, you know, it's got the same name on there, but it's like, you know, um, Dawn of the Dead, the Walmart version, you know, it's like it, it kind of devalues the name of that original movie when you just start cranking out these horrible sequels, you know, thankfully a lot of times you don't even hear about them, you know, like who knew that there was a, a Christmas story sequel. There was actually two. I didn't even know that, but I get where they're coming from. But I was telling her that like, it must be a little bit easier for magicians to kind of navigate their way through the business because their skills 
they could pretty much take anywhere. You know, like when you work the House of Comedy at the Mall of America, they they hire uh, a couple of my really good friends who are also magicians, uh, David Harris and Patrick Humphreys, who are close-up magicians. And so, like on Saturdays and Fridays before the show would start, they kind of walk around table to table and they do like close-up magic card tricks, which I think is really cool. It's a good idea. And uh, I don't know if Rick Bronson, who owns the place, is a magic fan or or if he did magic. I don't know. But I think it's a great idea. I've never seen it before. Um, but, yeah, it's like they could kind of take that skill and create their own business, you know, and do kids' parties or, you know, do magic tricks and before a comedy show or whatever. It's like with comedy, you know, there is a sen- a little sense of that, like I was talking about, where you could set your up your own shows and do your own thing, but, you know, it's it's such a process, and I don't know, it's just, it's always been an interesting um, art and an interesting skill to me to be able to, like, manipulate time and space and you know maneuver your hands and pockets and like the prestige is like one of my favorite movies in the world but it's just for me like magic kind of makes you aware of the idea of dimensions like and spaces and point of view and and uh peripheral vision you know it's like if you set something up like one way and you present it that way um, and people are like, you know, they see it that way because you're showing it to them the specific way you want to see it. And then you take two steps to your right and look at it at a, just a very a slightly different vantage point. You can see something totally different. You know, that's the thing that is so baffling to me. <laughs> Because the uh, the human eye is and the human brain is such an interesting organs, you know, because you can be shown something in a specific way and you'll see it that way. Turn it or change your point of view or your focus and things will change. It's like you see those things on the Internet all the time where it's like these puzzle pictures where like, you look in one spot and it's two vases and then you look in another spot and it's two faces, you know, that kind of stuff. Or, you know, they have those pictures where it's just all jumbled, but you stare at it long enough that your eyes blur and then a spaceship appears or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's all that kind of stuff, which just, you know, it gives me a headache when I think about it, but I love watching the stuff, you know, watching his show last night and the stuff that he was doing on stage. Um, you know, he makes it his own. He's very entertaining, very funny. Um, a lot of tricks in there that I've never seen before. And that's the thing I always worry about of watching like a new magician and stuff, like how many are kind of going to be the same tricks, you know, the same bits, you know. And uh, there really wasn't any in there that I was like, oh, that's the old, you know, giant coin behind the ear thing. You know, it's it was all very cool the he does a trick where he turns a uh, a quarter into a goldfish which i'm just like still blown away by at this point but 
if you have a chance he's in your city uh i would definitely go and see his magic show it's very good he shows clips from his uh if you don't know he has a hit television show on true tv that comes on before or after the impractical jokers called the uh carbonaro effect and it's just basically him pranking people using his magic and it's really funny i mean i i didn't think that it could be that funny but there's one episode where he goes to a music shop and and he's supposed to be getting lessons on how to do the trombone or i think yeah i think it's the trombone or yeah trumpet the trumpet not the trombone the trumpet and if you don't know on a, a trumpet like a lot of the brass instruments they have like a uh, a valve at the bottom that catches all the spit when you're doing it and every once in a while you have to open the valve and let the spit out so you can make it a clean sound in your trombone or your trumpet or your french horn or whatever you're using so he comes in there and he opens the valve and just like all of this liquid just starts spilling out and the look on this guy's face that's supposed to be teaching him how to play it is so priceless you just have to check it out i was gonna put some audio of the show after the credits too but i'm just like it's all visual so just go on youtube look up michael carbonaro and uh check out his magic stuff from true tv and his other things and uh i think you'll be hooked and end up coming to one of the live shows so it's it's him doing his comedy his magic he shows clips from the show and and some cool stuff from behind the scenes and stuff and uh it's just a really good time so uh you can always get this podcast at podbean itunes stitcher pretty much wherever podcasts exist check out largedrunkman.com for the upcoming dates like i said this week i'm doing a uh i'm doing a fundraiser in uh albany minnesota at uh, the albany bowling center for st jude's and then on saturday i will be at the uh the taft theater in cincinnati with uh michael carboniaro and it should be a good time and uh i appreciate you guys tuning in and tune in next time when we talk about who knows
Your own thoughts play the game in the magical understanding. 